0: Hello, and welcome to the Interest Center podcast, where we connect with experts and innovators in theological education around topics important to theological school leaders. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Governance Podcast. I'm Matt Huffman. In this episode, we're kicking off a new quarterly series called Inside Theological Education, in which we'll explore issues facing the field and talk with people who are doing the good work to advance the field. In this episode, I'm joined by two people who really need no introduction and have unique views of this field. The first is Amy Kardash, the president of the Interest Center for Theological Schools, which serves schools as a resource in any number of ways. Amy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Matt. Great to be here.
0: The second is, of course, well-known, the Reverend Dr. Frank Yamada, Executive Director of the Association for Theological Schools, best known for the accreditor of theological schools in North America, as well as a learning resource and resource agency for them. Frank, welcome to the podcast.
2: Always a pleasure, Matt.
0: Well, let's start this conversation with something that was certainly brought up last year, and we've all talked about it, and that's executive turnover in theological education. Frank, last year you wrote a piece about this in Colloquy. We did a, a, the ATS newsletter. We also discussed it on a podcast. It was also in the Intrust magazine. Um, and I think you really made a, a clarion call for, I think, maybe what people felt but couldn't put their finger on. And that was the high number of people uh, in executive positions, both CEOs and chief academic officers, who were leaving the field. Um, and as you noted, and I thought very well, and we'll put a link to it in our uh, on our webpage, intrust.org slash podcast, uh, but you really made a, a call that this is something that we got to pay attention to. So tell me a little bit about the reaction since you wrote that and you noted how it had accelerated since uh, the pandemic, but it certainly wasn't limited to the pandemic. That wasn't a new thing. Um, tell me a little bit about the reaction, what you've been finding since. So. Some of the
2: data, just so for those who may not have listened to the other podcast, we've seen an extraordinary number of transitions in the chief executive uh, role and in the chief academic role in theological schools. These are really the top two positions in ATS schools. Uh, The article that I wrote recounted how there were now it's now up to 507 transitions in a, a six year period. Uh, about an average of, of course, a little, um, a little under a hundred transitions per year, but that rate during COVID was over a hundred per year, um, in these two, uh, about half were academic deans, about half were presidents, slightly wow. lower than half were presidents, like 43% were presidents, 57% were academic deans. So more academic dean transitions than there were executives, um, and the, the way in which it affected schools was significant. So this affected over three quarters of ATS member schools with wow. schools seeing about one third of changes in both roles, one third of the schools seen changes in both roles. Uh, um, and there were forty over 40% of the schools who had multiple changes, whether it's in multiple changes in the presidency, multiple changes in the two roles, or multiple changes in one or the other roles combined so it it's significant and when i i uh was talking with tom tanner he's now a retired accreditor uh from from ats and the commission he he acknowledged that this is an unprecedented mm. uh, number of transitions that we've seen in ats's over 105 year history uh so some of the things that we've been hearing from presidents um first of all the reaction is always one of just shock that this um, both shock uh, because the numbers, numbers are staggering, right. but also you see this knowing look from folks when they, they hear this and they think that's the story of our school. yeah. Uh, and that's not surprising. I mean, over three quarters of the schools have experienced this kind of transition, um, so much so that we inside of, of ATS among the staff have been calling this the great transition. Um, and it's not just the transition in leadership; it's all about the transition um, that's happening more broadly in theological schools, in, in almost every facet of a theological school, in terms right. of the, its organizational models, um, in terms of uh, their financial models, their educational models, and the students whom they're serving. We'll hear, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we we talk about things like the Pathways for Tomorrow Initiative, but. That's the initial reaction that we're getting from folks. We're also starting to get some input from folks about what these new leaders need. Um, so that, that's a significant thing that we've been learning.
0: Amy, in the, the work that the Intrust Center does with board governance, particularly, this is an alarming number. Because you're looking at boards, of course. You know, boards are volunteer, usually volunteer positions, they're alumni, they're people who care. But when we're seeing not only the high number of turnover, but also shorter tenures, what are you picking up? Because when I see these things, my heart starts to race a little bit when right. I think about the impact on the field.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Matt. And I appreciate Frank's, you know, introductory comments because um particularly sort of like, what does this mean for for us as organizations that support the field? And and certainly one thing that we're already seeing as it relates to that, and then I'll I'll get to the board question, is the number of um, new executive leaders who are seeking resources as they move into leadership, many of whom may not be coming from a previous leadership position. Mm. So the impact of the churn in the field is impacting people who are moving into leadership and may not have as long as an, of an on-ramp or as long as of an off-ramp, right? right. So um, sort of their their arc of leadership or their season may be um, much shorter. Um, and so their ability to onboard quickly and acclimate to the institution, to trends in the field. Um, And that has deep implications to other things we're going to talk about, which are grant funded initiatives that the school might be invested in. And certainly as it relates to the work of the board, when a board is accustomed to um, governance being really executive focused, if that um, is no longer possible, given these transitions, how does the role of the board need to shift and that's um, work that we're deeply um, interested in investigating through our governance initiative and i know we'll probably talk a little bit about that but um just thinking about the ways board support transition in uh, new executive leaders think about what that new leader needs in order to thrive and be sustained in their leadership um, as well as all the other areas that boards need to tend to, I think there's there needs to be a call that this is a different time. Uh, leadership, certainly, board leadership needs to look different.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I think your point there, Amy, about this is a different time, really hits. And and Frank, I know we've the three of us have all talked about this before. We're dealing with a time in which the Americans belief in North America. Broad, more broadly, the beliefs in religion and established religion have changed. The needs of denominations have changed. Uh, some denominations are going through, you know, incredible uh, pains of, of contraction. And, and then some, many of our schools are dealing with things like uh, missional issues, you know, looking at this either in terms of who they are, who they include, who they don't include, what they do. Um, Frank, again, I feel my blood pressure start to raise as I talk about this. And you've been through this in a couple ways, right? As the president of a school and now in your role at ATS, walk us through a little bit about the situation because it's not just churn. And as Amy noted, there are executive leaders coming up without a lot of experience in the field, whether they're coming from a denomination, a church, somewhere else. Um, So talk a little bit, if you would about how this may be changing the playing field of what we're seeing in theological education.
2: So a, a couple of things on that, Matt. Um, first of all, um, I, I don't want to keep on spewing out facts and data that are going to keep raising your, raising your blood pressure. Because Oh, come on. Gonna... That's all
0: right. <laughs> uh,
2: but I think uh, Amy's word is a good one, that we're called to a certain time, um, whether it's what my staff and I have talked about is this great transition. You know, transition is not a word that that uh, decreases your blood pressure. Um, right. Transitions are tough. Transitions are hard. And when you throw an adjective like great in front of it, it just amps that up even more. Yes. Uh, so in some ways, I think what we're recognizing is that this is a moment where schools are changing really dramatically a lot of those changes are because of forces that are often beyond the control of the individual school or the individual leader so it's not the individual president's fault for example that uh, religious adherence in in communities of faith all across the religious spectrum including christianity are on the decline right Uh, but that certainly affects the environment that that a president's working within when his or her charge may be from the board of trustees to enhance and increase enrollments. Right. Right. Um or if you took it if you think about it, theological schools are really hybrid schools. They're both uh, a hybrid of the church and of higher education. Yes. Uh, so they intersect at that meeting point and there are forces within higher education as well that are putting a lot of stress on schools and institutions as well. Uh it's it, it's rare that you find that um, how often um, higher education institutions like Harvard and the Ivies have been in the press recently. Yeah, um, there's a lot of churn going on at the government level, at the state level, with regard to higher education, on things like you know what were long considered to be kind of stalwarts of higher education, like affirmative action, these kinds of things. You see these things being questioned. And I think what it's done, both in the sense of the tr- for the church and for higher education, it's raising questions about the value propositions of both. Mm. And so you can imagine what that does to a theological school when you're sitting at the intersection of higher education and the church, um, and uh, the implications for what that will mean with with a school um, from the ground perspective as a president who was called in 2011 to a school that was going undergoing similar changes way ahead of covid covid wasn't even on our radar in fact 2008 the financial collapse and market collapse of 2008 2009 was still fresh in our memories yes and we thought that that was the big traumatic experience uh little didn't we know right (laughs) um but um What I remember as a president thinking, uh, I was a first-time senior executive. Uh, I had not had any executive experience. I had mostly academic experience and some administrative experience. Uh, The learning curve of just learning the basics of the job was huge. And I think that we're finding that for a lot of new presidents. A lot of them didn't come with either executive experience or if they had executive experience, they didn't have executive experience with theological schools or even in higher education. Um, So there's a a steep learning curve just to know the basics of the job. Yes, Um, But then you have to also think about um, the current environment in which we're living, uh, which is an environment of change. And so some of the traditional things that a president would need to really lean into in terms of enhancing their skill really the, the the game the 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 field of play has really shifted in mm. terms of what you actually need to do you need to know a lot more about how to manage an organization through change mm. about how to pace out change so that it's not overwhelming to an organization or an institution you uh, are spending so much more time with people um than the executive of maybe 10 20 years ago did sure. because you're you're Your organization is a human organization, and all this change and transition requires a lot of time with people. Um, So that is some of the negative effects that I think that we see on leaders. Some of the positive is that I think in an environment of change, when schools, faculty, and administrators begin to realize their situation, I think what we see is that there is much more of an openness to do things differently. And that's really right. enhancing schools' ability to change and to meet the needs of the current moment.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in in the website as well. I mean, by the time we're done, I'll put lots of links, I think, in our conversation. But, you know, Frank, you talked about this. The, the Old Testament scholar that you are talked about use the Genesis creation story as out of chaos coming opportunities for creativity. And we're going to talk about that in a second, particularly in the Pathways Grant. But Amy, I want to give you a chance to talk about how the Intrust the Center is engaging with some of these new leaders and boards as they're doing that. What, what kinds of things people are asking for, mm-hmm. what you may be seeing as changes in what they would have asked for five or 10 years ago?
1: Yeah. And one thing that, Frank, you just said that made me think about this a little bit was um, sort of uh, an invitation for newer leaders to recognize that in order to be um, effective in their new role, in order to feel um, supported in their new role, that they need to develop a community of support that may include, and hopefully their board has put together a transition committee that will walk alongside of them for a year. That may not be the case, Um, For all. So, thinking about things like um, a group of people that are your regular conversation partners. I'm thinking about um, our podcast episode with Steve Moore, who talked about that a lot along his leadership, always having a group that he came together to exchange ideas with or a coach or a mentor or a consultant, lots of categories. But really what it's getting at is do you have a conversation partner as a new leader, one or many, where you can share, where you can request different forms of support in the areas that may not be your strength or it's something that you're developing. Um, I think it's very difficult as a new leader to cultivate that yourself sometimes because that can feel very vulnerable to suggest that I may not be um, fully ready to lead in this particular area. I would offer that that is a strength of a leader to be able to identify, like, this is this is an area where I need a little bit of development. Let me reach out. Certainly, our organizations are here, um, ATS and the Intrust Center, to offer that support um, or to connect with you know, potential um, coaches or consultants or mentors. So I, I think that's a, a big thing that I would encourage boards to advocate for and also for newer leaders to recognize that that would be, you know, a, a move of strength um, to seek that out.
2: And, and Matt, before you go on, I, you know, I know we're, we're talking a lot about leaders and I think that's because leaders make such a difference for the industry and for the schools um but following up on just what you were just saying amy i think it's so critical about having a group of folks or at least another person to be able to bounce ideas off of to talk with uh, because we both of us hear how how frequently leaders talk about how lonely these positions are um,
1: absolutely
2: yeah and loneliness loneliness will kill a leader um and uh, the age where the ideal for a leader is like a lone ranger type or a, you know, a, or a, a dark knight. Um, it, those those images mm-hmm. of heroes really just don't work in these kinds of environments, and they lead to decay of the institution and um, ill health for, for all the executives.
0: One, one thing I've appreciated in this field at this level, I mean, I've, I've worked for a school, I've got my master divinity and, and certainly been inside it, but it, it working with both, you know, the intrust center and of course, ATS, the ecumenical space has been really fascinating for me to watch because we'll see people from very different spectrums, theologically find, uh, uh, find commonality kind, find even prayer partners and friendships, um, whether through, uh, of course, ATS has, you know, new members and president's gatherings and dean's gatherings, the Intrust Center has a number of ways to do it, included facilitated conversations, and kind of off the, uh, the, uh, the record conversations in which presidents and senior leaders and board chairs can, can find commonality. And we find, I know at the Intrust Center, some very rich space in that. In which people are able to get out of the lone ranger mentality, as you mentioned, Frank, and 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 cross because it's not at that point about theology; it's about how do you manage change, and and there's a lot of similarity between schools, uh, despite that. So let me transition quickly. One of um, the exciting things in this field in the last few years has been the Pathways for Tomorrow Grant, uh, Lilly Endowment Inc. has has given. Over $200 million to schools across the spectrum in North America uh, to give them the space and the opportunity to create. One of the unique things in this project has been the management of it or the oversight, which has been co uh, partnered with ATS and the Intrust Center. Now, one of the things that the endowment has hoped for is that this would be learning space, not just for the individual schools but for the field itself. And we've done podcast episodes and reporting on that. Amy, why don't you start us off and tell me a little bit about, or talk a little bit about you with the the creativity you're seeing and some of the projects and th- themes that are coming out that you think should be shared across.
1: Yeah, sure, Matt. Thanks. You know, I think one of the things that um, is so important about the pathways for tomorrow initiative is how it's directly linked to the sustainability of mission for the participating schools. So not seeing these as projects on the side or programmatic things, but integral to the mission of the institution and how the school is being thoughtful about supporting emerging um, current and you know um, pastors in the field. So thinking about all right. the ways in which um, a school accomplishes that and um, really allowing schools to be thoughtful about important things like access and affordability and kind of programmatic responses. But really, who is it that we serve? What is it that you, we uniquely do? And how might we think about doing that in more creative ways or better? whether that's to reach more uh, diverse communities, whether that's to think about things like lifelong learning, um, or whether it's to think about other ways to provide education that are not traditional degree focused. So whether that's certificate or contextual learning, um, there's a lot of uh, variations of what schools are doing. And then there's the examples that are not as much focused on the educational side of it, but more on institutionally, what are we doing as it relates to our partnerships and our structures that will allow us to think about sustaining our mission in new ways? And we might look a little bit different. Um, Those are not, those are more the exception. Um, Many of the projects are really focused on the educational Mm -hmm. side, but I really do think that. Um, It's a wonderful opportunity for kind of that thoughtful discernment about, you know, in five years time, what will we be doing differently that will impact the way that we fulfill our mission Um, and not in a way that says, um, okay, that we've done this for five years. Now we're going to flip back to this or. Right. It's sort of it's sort of saying, no, this is this is about. Who we are, and we're going to look different at the end of this um, initiative. so I think it's really exciting
0: it's truly there's a transformative nature to this for the schools. It's not just a, an appendix or an extra project um, so that's well said Frank, what are you seeing?
2: Well, Amy kind of maybe summed it up very well. Um, maybe the lens that um, a different lens through which we can think about it you know Clayton fishenson the Harvard business school um, Leader and scholar often talked about two forms of innovation, um, and that's really what the Pathways Project is doing. It's stimulating innovation in the schools. Um, and now schools, you know, schools often say we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, we don't have, we don't have the people or the money to be able to do these new things. Um, well, the Lilly Endowment through this project has eliminated some of those some of those barriers. And now in the schools are actually beginning to think about how they can best do these kinds of innovations. So the innovations that talks about, Clayton Christensen talks about are um, both sustaining innovations and disruptive innovations. Um, and disruptive is a, a good thing. Um, so disruptive is the thing like that helps the, the industry make the big shift change that it needs to to be relevant going forward. Um, uh, an example in an industry like would be like the move from from printed photography to digital photography. Right. Sure. Um, so many op- opportunities and, and things open up when we made that shift. Um, I think there we see both kinds of innovation happening in schools and the pathway schools. We see sustaining innovations where schools are doing better what they've always done. And I love Amy's word about it's connected to their mission but they're thinking of different formats. I, I think of it as new students, new programs, new technologies, and new frameworks, like new frameworks like futurists. We have one school that's looking at uh, consulting with a futurist to think about what that means for theological education. Um, but it's it's also not just new programs the way that schools think of new programs. Uh, We're seeing so a proliferation of uh, certificates and non-degree programs. Um, which is is just brilliant because it gives the school more flexibility, but it also helps them adapt to newer audiences in more creative ways by engaging those audiences. So I would think of those as sustaining innovations or helping a school do what they've always done, but doing it better, more efficiently, or doing it in ways that are helping them attract new audiences. But we also see, I think, some, some opportunities for disruptive innovations. Again, helpful disruptions, For example, um, whether it's a shared services initiative um, or it's looking for different organizational structures um, and partnerships with other organizations that can provide skill and knowledge that theological schools don't possess to help theological schools reimagine their way of doing business. Because ultimately, when it comes, it's, it's not that schools just care about the bottom line, but schools often haven't thought enough about the bottom line Right. Because in this day and age, where the bottom line affects, it doesn't affect, it certainly affects the school, but it's often affecting students in the form of educational debt. Um, so there's obviously some some needed disruptive innovation that needs to happen. And what I'm excited about with the Pathways uh, initiative and the pro- and the projects within it, is I think there's a, the opportunity for schools to reimagine some of these things at the fundamental level of how schools are operating.
1: Matt, can I add something there? I was thinking while Frank was talking um, about um, early on in the um, phase two for Pathways, we did a series of, of webinars and for project directors. Um, and in one of them, we were, we were talking about sustainability early on. And one of the sort of go-to frameworks that we've used for a number of years here is based on the three box solution by um, Govin, I'm sorry, Vijay Govindajaran. And, And he talks about that sort of need to everything you do think about, is it for the present? Is it something you need to abandon from the past or is it future focus? And I think specifically with pathways that Um, there isn't the sense of let's add on something else and add on something else, which I think for many schools that has been sort of the response to an enrollment decline or a need to attract new markets. Let's add a new MA, let's add something else. Um, I think this is calling for what are, what might we do differently or new and what, might we have to selectively abandon, which is, you know, kind of one of the boxes to create more capacity and resources for what's new. And I think there's the space in the initiative to do just that as schools are thinking about sustainability. And so that's one of my big hopes is that as we're adding and thinking about sort of this is where we're putting our resources and attention, that there's also the sense of now we probably need to let go of something. Um, that may be mm. disruptive and uncomfortable, but will free up resources for where we're really headed.
0: Yeah, again, I think part of the Pathways, the importance of Pathways project is the continued learning, not only in the schools, but in the field. Uh, both ATS and the Entrust Center are documenting those or finding ways to tell those stories. We'll put more links on the podcast page for that. Um I want to wrap up on two different points. Uh, First, Frank, for you, the biennial, this is a biennial year, big year for ATS being in Atlanta. Um, Tell me a little bit about what the focus is and what you're hoping to see out of the biennial.
2: Yeah. So ATS and the commission on accrediting has a a, a biennial meeting, of course, every two years. Uh, This year's theme is rooted in hope, thriving and change, navigating transitions in theological education. I, it really kind of encapsulates everything we've been talking about. Uh, right. but what I, I'm very excited about with this particular theme, uh, and we've, we've, we're already deep into the programming segment and how we're going to roll out that programming.
0: It's, it's a great lineup of workshops. Yeah. i got to say, I mean, it's absolutely, yeah, wonderful. it's
2: it. And they're meaningful workshops that share best practices. They're, they're hitting all the, yes. all the issues that schools are wanting to, to look at. Um, but I'm really excited about um, really the first phrase within our theme that rooted in hope. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: We're uh, we're working with a with a, some folks at Nate's the Indigenous Learning Community about how we can encourage and foster stories of hope in theological education. Um, that's going to be one of our plenary sessions. And what I love about it is that. You know, um, again, k- kind of going back to my roots as a as a biblical scholar, as a Hebrew Bible scholar. Uh, you know, change and transitions was more the norm than it was um, a time right. of you know of uh, Israel's Israel's uh, kingdom really only lasted for a very short moment within the history of the biblical witness, yes. and most of the time, Israel and the children of God and the ch- early church are in a state of some kind of transition. And and often in response to some huge calamity, whether it's the destruction of the first or the second temple, uh, whether it's a Babylonian exile. Um, And yet when people talk about the Bible, they don't think, well, this is just a book about all these horrible changes. They talk about the hope that inspires for generations Mm. and millennia of people. Um, And so we have a great witness to these hope this this great hope that we see um, as people of faith in god and in as christians in jesus christ um how we see that embodied in the way that the church changes the way the church adapts the way that the people of god face into these realities um in the in the midst of and facing some significant challenges um uh, uh, that are literally at a world scope so um these kinds of things shouldn't be new for those of us who have our as our dna these faith traditions and so we're really excited about leaning into this idea of kind of renaming and reclaiming that notion of hope in the middle of these transitions um and what we're trying to accomplish is what we always accomplish in the biennial meetings we really have a whole pretty much the same object same objectives for each meeting and that is um up People should have the opportunity to learn more about the larger industry trends in theological education. Of course, they're going to have to do. Uh, they're going to have to cast their votes. Individual schools have one person cast votes on the business of the association and the commission. That's always the second objective. The third is for education and development of leaders in theological schools through these workshops, through these education, mm. through their engagement with others. Um, and the fourth is related to that, and that is networking and sharing these best practices. Um, and then the fifth is it all culminates with a, a, a banquet at the end where we celebrate milestones and recognize distinguished service in theological schools. So really, the biennial meeting is and has always been the guild meeting for all of those who work in theological education. And it's just uh, it's a good time to be together together. And to be a community of this size and of this diversity at such a time of this when schools are undergoing such um, massive changes, Um, but then also collectively to lean into not just a hope that's kind of a pie in the sky hope, but hope that's rooted in practices that are working, hope that's rooted in um, being connected to each other across theological aisles and um, there's tremendous hope that's just generated by being there.
0: I appreciate you explaining it that way, it, Frank. Of of going back in a tremendous time of change to you know the biblical text as to the hope that resides within you. Um, I, I really appreciate that. We're looking forward to being down in Atlanta with you and uh, being part of the biennial. We'll put because this is the link episode. I'll put another link. Uh, for the biennial registration in our podcast and encourage our listeners uh, to sign up for that. Amy, I want to end with you. There's an exciting new initiative coming out of the Intra Center uh, about governance. Would you give us a quick overview of what's coming up or what? what, I know it's not all out there yet, but would you talk a little bit about what you expect to see? Sure.
1: Happy to. Um, So, the beginning of this year, we launched a multi-year project focused on governance. I think for all the reasons that we've already talked about today. Um, but really, uh, there hasn't been a study on boards. And if we're focusing on sort of that governance stakeholder, there hasn't been a um, any research or study on boards in theological education in over a decade. The last survey was done in 2012. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten a number of questions over the years um, about what do other boards look like? Um, So one of the things that we're going to do in in the first part of this year is, um, and this is in partnership with um, ATS, is launch a research study for first quantitative, getting at things like board composition structures and practices. Um, So that'll let us kind of set a baseline. And then really what we're trying to do in the initiative over the multiple years is identify what current governance models and modes are in operation now and begin to think about a best practice for one that can be sustained, given the things that we've talked about, like accelerated leadership transitions. So thinking about who provides right. the stability and the continuity for institutions, thinking about things like board stickiness that we've talked about, Matt, thinking about um, identifying those practices and the ways in which boards can provide that continuity and stability amongst their own mm-hmm. transition, because there's a you know board building cycle that's always um, ongoing alongside of the transitions and executive. So moving perhaps away from an executive centered um, to something that might be a new expression. And so we're really eager first to kind of get a, take the temperature of where we are and share that, and then um, dig into what are the ways in which the Entrust Center can be responsive um, and supportive to the needs of the field and um, help Inform and impact the institutional mission sustainability that we kind of began talking about at the uh, top of the episode.
0: And folks should expect what? A survey coming soon.
1: Yes. Thanks, Matt. Yes. Um, In March, uh, mid to late March, we will be launching a survey that will go out to all executive leaders at all ATS accredited schools. We'll also be surveying governing and advisory board members. Um, at all schools. And the request is simply to participate. A 15-minute survey, um, please tell us what's going on um, so that we can kind of, you know, pull all that data together and share that with you in a meaningful way. So mid-March, we'll have a lot of other ways that we'll communicate this, but um, be on the lookout.
0: Well, it's been a wonderful conversation. I'm sorry we are at the end of our time. It's been wonderful to note too the partnerships that we've seen and in, in the the work that both Amy and Frank you have done together for several years now, and the way that that both uh, organizations are working together. Um, so I'm grateful to you both. Thank you to the get, our guest today, Amy Kardash, the president of the Interest Center for Theological Schools, and the Reverend Doctor Frank Yamada of the Association of Theological School. Um, Amy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Matt. Frank. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Thanks to the two of you. All right. We'll post links and other things. Make sure to check out past episodes at intrust.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening to the Intrust Center's Good Governance Podcast. For more information about this podcast, other episodes, and additional resources, visit intrust.org.